Hi, this is Miss Tyler, and welcome back to Context for Kids, where I teach you guys the stuff that most adults don't even know. And it's so cool. This week, we're going to talk about something very exciting, which is the authority and power of God. And there's no better place to start talking about that than Genesis 1, when he, like, literally makes everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So people in the ancient world, they thought about things very differently than we do today. Today, you know, if we can't see something, then we have trouble believing it even exists. Kinda. And I'll talk about the kinda in a bit. We have trouble because we separate everything into different categories. Over here we have science. And over here we have politics. And over there, we have religion, and we don't like for them to mix. Have you ever seen somebody who didn't like anything on their dinner plate to touch? Where they don't want to have a pea in their applesauce or, or meat? Honestly, you know what? Meat and applesauce is awesome. <laughs> so I don't know why anyone would hate that, but some people do. So, you know, I guess when they're eating chicken, they want it to taste like chicken, I suppose. But, but people nowadays, they like to have these big, important issues all separated from each other. Sometimes. <laughs> but I, when the Bible was written, that wasn't true at all. Religion was a part of everything because God was seen as behind and a part of everything on earth that happened. They didn't think that anything happened without him. They didn't think that the sun rose without him or that the moon would come out at night without him. Every time someone had a baby, whether people or animals, they felt it was because of him. And when the crops grew and when the rain fell, you know, everything was about God. And if the rain didn't fall and the crops didn't grow and if someone didn't have a baby, they saw God in that too. God in the ancient world was seen as what we grown-ups would call a micro-manager. And so they saw everything that was going on in the world, you know, when they saw that, that was proof to them that God exists. They didn't need to see over-the-top miracles to believe that there was a God because just the fact that everything in the world was running smoothly was proof enough. I mean... How did all this stuff happen without God personally doing it all for them? Of course, you and I were brought up in an entirely different kind of world. God is still exactly the same, but we've changed since the Bible was written. So things that made perfect sense to them don't always mean the same thing to us. Sometimes we need to interpret what things meant to them before we can apply it to our own lives. You know, we can add to it and take away from it without even meaning to. 
Now, they would have thought that a world where politics and medicine and culture can exist without religion would have been just silly. I mean, how can a person do anything without God or without him knowing about it or being a part of it? But, you know, that's what our culture does today when it separates God from everyday life. And it's been that way all my life. But when we believe in God... We have to become more like Bible people. That doesn't mean we have to all move to Israel and live in tents and herd sheep and goats or anything. I mean, that would be just silly. And plus, there's not enough room there for all of us. And we sure shouldn't go back to owning slaves or having human kings or doing everything they, like they did. We still live in our modern world and some of the ways we're different from them are very good. We do a lot of things differently now because Jesus taught us not to hate our enemies and to serve others instead of demanding to be served. I don't need a slave because I can get off my own lazy butt and do things myself and no one deserves to be a slave. But one of the sad things that happened is when science replaced God in some people's minds. I mean, okay, I'm a scientist. I went to college and I studied math, physics, and a whole lot of chemistry, and I, I got a degree as a chemist, and I worked in research and development when I was much younger. So I just love science. Science rocks. Science is very cool. But all science does is figure out more and more about the excellent universe that God designed to work very, very well. You know, scientists, we can't create anything like God does. We have to work with what he's given us. He gave us minds and imagination and intelligence and a lot of curiosity. We can observe how things work and, and have even proven through science that just because we can't see something doesn't mean it isn't there. I mean... Think about germs and viruses. Until about 400 years ago, you know, no one could see germs because it takes a microscope to see them. Until the 1930s, you know, when the electron microscope was invented, no one could see viruses either. But you know what? People knew they existed because of the effect they have on people. Germs and bacteria and viruses cause food to become contaminated and people get sick. So even though they aren't big enough to see with our eyes, anyone could see what they did. And this world is like that. We see all around us what God has done and what he continues to do. We don't have to see him in order to see what he does. We can invent things too, but invention's different than creation. Only God can create something from nothing and give it meaning. We can also make things. Do you like to cook? I love to cook. Last night I made beef with broccoli, which is a Chinese dish. I took some beef and some broccoli and some brown sugar and soy sauce and garlic. 
a lot of garlic, sesame oil and cornstarch and a few other things, and I made a yummy dinner. But I had to go to the supermarket to buy all those things. And the supermarket had to get those things from ranchers and farmers and manufacturing companies. And none of us created those things. We all worked with things that God created out of nowhere. And after he made them, he gave them to us for food. Well, not all those things right away, as we'll see when we study the Bible. Beef wasn't originally on the menu at all. That I'm glad it is now. I like it. So, we understand that God created everything, but how does he do it? The Bible says that he just speaks and whatever he wants just happens. I bet your parents wish that they could do that and you would just do whatever they ask whenever they speak. I bet they wish they could speak and boom, dinner was on the table and boom, the dishes were done afterward and boom, the laundry is all washed and neatly folded in the drawers whenever they just said the word. But when we make something, we have to work. When we want something done, it takes the use of our hands and feet or whatever other part of our body is required. God is so far above us that he spoke and the entire universe came to be. I mean, we can't even tie our own shoes without bending over to do it ourselves. Plus, we had to learn to do it and that wasn't easy either. All around us are amazing inventions, but they aren't creations. There's this Hebrew word in Genesis well, because the entire front of the Bible was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, so that was kind of a silly thing for me to point out. So, one of the Hebrew words that, in what we read today, is bara, And it's one of the most special words in the entire Bible. It's a word that's only ever used to describe what God is doing. No one else can bara, not Adam, or Noah, or Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, and not even King David. No one can barah except for God. And in the very first sentence of the Bible, it says that God did this thing, barah. So let's read it again. In the beginning, God created, and that's the word barah, the heavens and the earth. You know what the crazy thing is? Doesn't talk about how it happened. It doesn't say what he used to make the heavens and the earth. It doesn't talk about anything sciency, no matter how hard we look at it. <sighs> Believe me, I'm a scientist and I have looked really hard. I can make a lot of assumptions and assume that something's there. But if I do, it's just because I want it to be there. The people who originally heard this and read this, they didn't care about how it happened. All they cared about was that God created a place for them to live and grow and eat and have their children and survive and be happy. But there was something very weird about this verse. Well, God didn't have any helpers. Well, that's just bizarre. Everyone in the ancient world just knew that there were a kabillion different gods and goddesses and that not one of them was powerful enough to create the entire heavens and earth. Well, 
Who is this one God who claims to do everything by himself? Wow, this book is already very controversial to ancient people. And by controversial, I mean something that people would have argued about and would have made them very angry. All the other religions had gods for this and gods for that and gods for everything. And none of the gods could do anyone else's jobs for them because they only knew how to do their own job. In fact, they were so lazy that many of their mythologies said that they created humans because they got tired of growing and preparing their own food. They created plants and animals for food and they created humans to take care of their food for them. <laughs> They were just powerful enough to do one job, but not powerful enough to rustle up their own grub. They were really quite pathetic. Not like the God described in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Boom. No big group of helper gods required. And, you know... We might think that this sounds normal today, because just over half the world is monotheistic now. That means that we believe in only one God who created everything. But when the Bible was first written, almost everyone believed that there were a great many gods. But we'll talk about that more in other weeks. Right now, I want to talk to you about how cool God is. Okay, I want you to choose one thing to do. You can blink your eyes, or point your finger, or wiggle your toes. Okay, do it now. Was it difficult? Did you have to give yourself directions? Like, okay, eyelids, I want you to start moving down lower on the count of three. One, two, Three, go! Okay. Lower, lower. You got this. You can do it. Yes! Eyes fully closed. You're so awesome, but we're only halfway there. Okay. Okay, again, on the count of three. Start raising them up again. I know they're heavy, but you can do this. One, two, three, heave! Keep lifting. I, I know it's difficult. Yes, we did it. Good job, everyone. We blinked. Well, no, of course. You didn't have to do any of that. And the truth is that you blink and point and wiggle your toes all day every day without even thinking about how to do it. It was absolutely effortless, and it took no effort at all. Well, that's what effortless means, isn't it? Jeez. Now, think about making lasagna, or a model car, or a painting. Those are things you have to put a lot of effort into. But when God created, Barah, the heavens and the earth, all he did was speak. That means he put in no more effort to create everything than it took you and I to blink, point, and wiggle. The Bible doesn't do a thing to tell us what it was made of or exactly how it all came together. 
or anything because it isn't important. The Bible wasn't written to teach us about science. The Bible was written to teach us about God and about God's relationship with us because we're his people. We may want it to be a science book, but I don't know why on earth God would waste space talking about science when the really important things in life are about God and his salvation and how he wants us to live. Besides, his science wouldn't make any sense to us anyway. Science changes all the time our understanding of it. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in wanting to prove that the Bible is right that we don't remember that Bible, the Bible was written for people who are already believers. We already know it's right. If someone isn't a believer, they aren't going to think the Bible's right anyway. So when we read it, we should always say, well, what is this teaching me about God and what God wants for me and what God wants from me? Genesis 1 teaches us so much about what kind of a God he is, totally different than all the fake gods worshipped all over the world. But it also tells us how God feels about us, how amazing and trustworthy and powerful he is, and how much we can trust him with everything in our lives. Whenever we want the perfect picture of what God looks like, we need to look at our example in Jesus. Can you tell me the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels? Hmm? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus took five small loaves of barley bread and two tiny fish, and he fed 5,000 men and who even knows how many women and kids. He took the bread and the fish that his disciple Andrew had gotten from a child and he spoke a blessing over the bread. And then the bread just began multiplying until everyone who'd come to hear him teach got to eat enough to fill their bellies. Plus there were 12 baskets of leftovers later. That's amazing. How did he do it? The Bible doesn't say how he did it. All we know is that he prayed as he broke the bread, and probably his prayer was, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who brings forth bread from the earth. Because we know that prayer from other Jewish writings, and Jesus was Jewish, of course, and so that's the prayer that his mom and dad would have taught him to honor God whenever they broke bread in their home when he was growing up. Maybe he didn't have to do anything at all except break the bread in order to hand it over to his disciples to give to the crowd. But why on earth would that work? I can't do that. Can you do that? If you were to get a piece of bread later and say that prayer and break the bread, bread I'm willing to bet that you just have a piece of bread that's torn in half. Why can't we do that? The Gospel of John in the very first chapter gives us the amazing answer to that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Wow! It starts off saying, in the beginning, just like the first chapter of Genesis in our lesson today. So John's pointing us back to the very beginning of the Bible when God created the heavens and the earth. And when he spoke the words to make light appear, 
John tells us that God was not alone, that his word was with him and was a part of him. That's an amazingly powerful word that it gets spoken about like it's more than just words. My words are not like that at all, and I bet yours aren't either. My words don't have any power to do things like make light and animals and the sun, moon, and stars. Best my words can do is order an extra cheesy stuffed crust pizza, and, and it shows up, and it's good, but someone has to take my order, and another person has to make it, and then a third person delivers it to my house. But what I would really like is if I could pray over the pizza and break it and have pizza forever. But my word, what comes out of my mouth, is totally different from God's word. God's word is so powerful and alive and life-giving and good that it has a life of its own. And that life came to earth to live as Jesus. God's words aren't just words like yours and mine. They are the word. After all, how can his words be anything like our words, right? That's why whatever Jesus wanted to do, he was able to do. Whatever he said would happen, happened. Whatever he asked for, he got. When he blessed someone, they were blessed. And when he cursed that fig tree, it died. He made new eyes for the blind man and he cured the leper. He made dead people come to life quite a few times. Even one who had been dead for four days. Because his words weren't just words. They were God's own word because that's who he is. So he could just speak a blessing. And when he spoke a blessing, all of God's power just poured into that bread and it multiplied because those five barley loaves and those two fish were too small to hold the power of his blessing, I think. The bread and the fish probably would have exploded into a million pieces if they'd been forced to hold all that blessing inside. God's word is very powerful. He gave us his words um, in the form of our Bibles. But, you know, people were still sinning and doing terrible things and worshiping false gods even. Many people were faithful to uh, what the Bible was telling them, but many were not. And even more people didn't know about the Bible at all because they were from nations who didn't know God and had no idea how different he was from the false, cruel, demanding gods that they worshipped. The prophet Isaiah said that one day a servant would come who would help God's people again, the Jews, but that that wasn't nearly enough, that he would help all the pagan nations too. All the people who didn't know God and didn't know his commandments and were doing terrible things that God hates because they hurt people. Their false gods did all sorts of terrible things, and so the people on earth, all the people on earth, needed an example of what God looks like up close. And so God sent his powerful word, and the wonderful things he said and did are written in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as we go through Genesis, we'll be talking what the, God, what the love of God looks like in the flesh so we can all know God better through the word, through his son, Jesus. So I hope that was really exciting for you guys. I'm excited to be teaching you guys. I love doing radio. Anyway, I want to talk to you really quick about your words because it's almost time to go. You know, our words can't 
create animals or grass or potato bugs or anything like that. But they can hurt people and they can help people. So we have to be careful with our words, even though they aren't as powerful as God's words. Make sure that the things that you're saying to people bring them life. That's it for this week, and I will see you next week. And we're going to talk some more about Genesis and creation and all the amazing things that God made. And I want you to know that I pray for you guys. I love you very much, and I hope that you have a wonderful time together with the people who love you studying God's word, because that is a wonderful thing that we can do together to show people how much we love them. You guys take care.